We're gonna talk about comics from Devil's Due It's something you wondered if Talking Joe would ever do Our guests will explain it all to you Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read Oh, oh Hey, 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 it's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest-running dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. If you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Now, this show, we are continuing our look at the disavowed era of G.I. Joe, but it's not a look at the comics in detail. It is a special interview episode now. We'll find out who we're talking to in a second, if you haven't read the description. But without further ado, let me introduce my co-host, who will be joining me on this adventure. It's a real American, Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark. And hello, listeners. And hello, Mr. Guest, who we will speak to now. Joining us is Andrew Swenson. He is credited as the military consultant for Brandon Jerwa's era of the G.I. Joe books, basically issue 25 when uh, Brandon Joe picked things up through to issue 43, his last issue, as well as the Master and Apprentice miniseries. So welcome to the show, Drew. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Excellent. Glad to have you on. It's always a delight to sort of speak to some people that are in, uh, involved in the comics and uh you know find out how this thing is made what are the ma- you know machinations that happen behind the the scenes but usually we start by asking a guest such as you drew about what your earliest connection to gi joe was when comics toys animation yeah that's a great intro um let's see here if i go way back and you're talking to a guy who's you know pushing 50 years old so i don't like to talk about that but going back i think uh it was about 1983 and uh, we took a family vacation out east uh and uh, there i saw the gi joe toys on the shelf i believe it was the 83 um wave and just fell in love with them you know, I think my brother and I each got a figure, and that very night we were begging our mom to go back to get another figure the next day, and we <laughs> did. And and it really set it off from there. So we came back. I, I, I should jump back. I live in the mid upper Midwest of the U.S., and uh, when we got back to our home, many of my neighbor friends thought they were fantastic too. So we, we probably kicked off the whole love of G.I. Joe for our entire neighborhood at that point. And then I think we discovered the cartoons, and shortly after, I saw probably a comic book in a grocery store and uh, started collecting from there. Mm. D- did you try and get every issue? Were you were you already a comic book reader? Oh, I think I had the odd superhero comic book here and there. But uh, let's see here. Back then, when I started, I would have been, I think, nine or ten years old. So I wasn't at the point where I was getting every issue till about probably issue... I'm going to say maybe around 21, 22. Um, then at that point, then I was, you know, I was collecting every issue as it came out. And did you have a, a toy store or department stores near you at home where you could keep getting more toys? Uh, yeah, there was a small one, though they didn't have much in the way of G.I. Joe early on until it just boomed, um, you know, maybe 84, 85, kind of got a lot bigger where, you know, every toy store was carrying it. 
So for us, uh, growing up in a town of about 20,000 in central Wisconsin, we oftentimes shopped when we went to a larger city such as Milwaukee, and they had Target stores and kind of larger department stores that were carrying it earlier on. Uh, so we looked forward to those trips for sure. I've got a random, slightly random left field question here for you, Drew. Yeah. We are going to, I'm going to be putting together a Christmas special uh, podcast and I'm going to be sort of inserting some uh, little bits of audio for, for into into that. So I thought it might be an opportune uh, time to get a little bit of a Christmas slice uh, of nostalgia from, from you. Um, so Andrew Swenson, military consultant for Brandon Joe is G.I. Joe. Uh, can you answer me this question? Do you have any particular memories of G.I. Joe at your childhood Christmas times? Was was this an, a time for you to to be getting like the bases, the big vehicles uh, and finding them under the Christmas tree? Yeah, that's always a fun thing to talk about, isn't it? So I, I do have a number of memories of of uh, G.I. Joe at birthdays and Christmas for, uh, I'd say, a good number of years in a row. One in particular was the year, boy, I hope I'm doing this right, I think 84, 85, was the year when, you know, my brother and I uh, came down to the tree in the morning, and um, he had, I think, the Sky Striker and the Whale, I want to say, and I believe I had the Mauler, I want to say, maybe one of the bases as well, uh, the dragonfly. So it was probably one of the most, excuse me, that was probably one of the fondest uh, Christmas memories I have. We just, we thought we had died and gone to Christmas heaven. <laughs> so we, you know, even, even you know, as a family getting together and having to go to church later that day, that was just torture because it took us away from our new toys that we love so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, my, here's a little tidbit too, is my dad was so, Type A, God bless his soul. Um, he would stay up all night putting all the stickers on ahead of time because, oh wow, yeah, he couldn't stand you know the the kid play stickers that might be crooked all over the place. So so when we went down in the morning, the stickers were already on, and he had gotten about twenty minutes of sleep total. You know, <laughs> but, that is so, amazing because yeah. I was going to say like a typical experience for for a GI Joe collector at Christmas is that it's underneath the tree. But you can't play for it for a good few hours because, yeah, you've got church, you've got, you know, Christmas Day lunch, etc. And then you've got to get that toy out of the box, put it together, put the stickers on. That's some, you know, serious playtime being eaten into there. Oh, that was daunting. <laughs> if you, you know, later on, I obviously put my own stickers on. But, you know, in the beginning, you'd see some of those sheets. I mean, that was incredible. You know, all the do not steps. You know, well, my dad had to have all of those stickers on completely. So, I mean, I don't even <laughs> want to know how long it took him. So you mentioned... Um, getting the comic book at a local grocery store and then later getting every issue. Was there a comic book store in your life or were you going to the grocery store and other newsstands? Oh, fantastic question. So a small town of about 20,000, right? So, I mean, it was Marshfield, Wisconsin. So at first it was just a local grocery store, but I want to say right around the time G.I. Joe was booming or just a little before uh, a little mon pa comic book store opened up right in the downtown. Wonderful people, great little shop, fun place to go. And so I started going there on a regular basis. They kind of got to know me as the kid who came in for the G.I. Joe comics. Uh, and so then it, then it switched to that. It did start off, though, with grocery stores. What was the comic book store called? Oh, my gosh. I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, I, I can't remember offhand. All right. How about this? Could you walk or ride your bike, take the bus there? Were you dependent upon 
grown-ups to get you there? Oh, man, you've done this before. These are good questions. Uh, it was definitely within bike riding distance. Uh, we also lived uh, in a neighborhood that butted up against railroad tracks. And so oftentimes my friend and I would go down. It was kind of a down-a-hill experience. We'd go down the hill to the railroad tracks, and we'd almost like the stand-by-me scene. We'd walk the railroad tracks all the way into town, <laughs> um, which took us within two or three stores of the comic book shop, you know, grab our comics and then just walk the tracks back. Zooming out a little bit, was G.I. Joe your favorite? Were there other toys or kid activities like sports or, you know, building models or Lego or, you know, He-Man? Were there other things or was G.I. Joe the top? For me, G.I. Joe was definitely at the top. Um, I did like, uh, I recall... Uh, enjoying castle Legos as well, but it had to only be the castle kind. A yellow castles. What, the yellow one? There was there was only one yellow castle, Mark. Yeah, yeah there was only one yellow. And about the I time still have my brother's yellow castle, Mark. <laughs> I'm sorry. About the time they switched to gray, I think, is when I got into them. My, I, I have a kind of interesting childhood. I grew up next to neighbors. Everybody knows that kid who got every toy under the sun. <laughs> and so... We, we were very restricted. We, you know, we, we weren't deprived, but we were restricted. And so we kind of picked our favorites and that's what we stuck with. Uh-huh. My neighbors, however, got everything. So I did play with He-Man. Oh, man, I'm trying to think. Just every uh, Dungeons and Dragons toys. Um, goodness. I mean, it, really anything you can think of, even the obscure things at their house. Yeah. Did your neighbor have a flag? A flag. Yes, he did. Yes, they did. It was, it was two boys, and they did have a flag. In fact, I was able to set that up in my house for a short for a short while. <laughs> I, I, I kind of – I don't know if I bartered something or – I don't know. I got him to allow it for about two or three months. Wow. Nice. But I did not have Amazing. one myself. So uh, was there a point where you got out of G.I. Joe? Oh, yeah. A couple times, actually. It's funny. So I, I think I got a little pressure in the late 80s, maybe after 88 or so. Just feeling a little bit of peer pressure that, you know, you've got these toys. What do you still have them for? So we had a big garage sale, and I sold almost all of them, except for possibly the Mauler. And it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't a year, half a year after that, that I just, I realized I had made a mistake. So I went about, you know, there was no eBay then. So I went about finding these things all over the place from friends who didn't want them and kind of recollecting most of what I had lost and then some. And then I had gone off to the military, had come back, done college, and at that point didn't have space or time for the thing. So I sold off the collection again, except for there again, I believe the Mauler and a few figures. And then in the, um, about the early eBay years, so maybe let's say 97, 98-ish, uh, it started all over again. Mm. Yeah, the the dawning of yeah eBay and realizing what you can get on there is sort of I think a lot of people have had that <laughs> that awakening and yeah. going a little bit crazy of like what all of these things they're sort of just within a few mouse clicks right delivered to your door <laughs> so yeah you glossed over the sort of military there but i think we'll probably uh come come back to that because it will have some bearing on how you ended up sort of working uh working on there sure in terms of the comics, did did you feel, did you generally follow GI Joe until the uh, the bitter end at one five five, or did you did you drop off along the way? I followed pretty well all the way through. Let's say one hundred and ten or so, maybe one hundred and twenty. The, mm-hmm. the comics took a little different turn at that point. Started to get much more fantastic. I think at some point Transformers were involved. 
different things like that, uh, costume changes. And that, you know, they mirrored the toy line as well in the early 90s. And at that point, I think I collected the comics, but I didn't didn't do a whole lot of reading. It was more of just let's finish the collection. Uh, mm-hmm. And that did continue to 155. Yeah, I get that. I get that completely. Were you reading comics in 2001 when G.I. Joe came back? Yeah, yeah. So when Devil's Do grabbed the license and we had this kind of rebirth, and I, I think it just, I don't know, it was it was in the air. Uh, it just seemed like everybody and their brother were, were ready for this rebirth, and we were all pretty excited about it. The, uh, the boards opened up and Devil's Do, and you could just feel it, you know, uh, you could feel the excitement. And, you know, whether you liked the direction that they took, I believe it was some nanomites or something, or you, you didn't. Either way, you know, G.I. Joe was back on the shelf. And so I, I was definitely reading uh, as they were coming out. Yeah, I think I remember you being on the on the boards. Were you were you called Ricondo on the boards? I or was. was it... I was. Yeah, I I was somewhat addicted to the to the boards as as well at the at the time. It was a great little sort of community, as you say. It was in the air, and everyone was sort of just really excited for for GI Joe to, to be coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, let's talking about your your handle there, Ricondo. I'm guessing he's your favorite. Is there a particular connection to to that figure or to, uh, character? Well, yeah, I, I think both. Okay, so uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I thought he was fantastic. Um, there were a number of them. You know, I had a couple others that I that were my favorites. And for some reason, that was a particular figure. We, you know, we all know of the ones that were real hard to find. You know, Firefly might have been one of them. Um, that sort of thing. He, for some reason, was real tough to find for at least the kids in my neighborhood. So mm. I had, I had gotten the figure and when we all got together to play, we I mean, it was almost like the commercials that they used to show that Hasbro used to put out. It really was like that in my neighborhood. You know, you'd all bring out your couple of your favorite toys, your figures. We'd all be in the back, you know, little woods and setting up little scenes and things. And, you know, there'd be four or five, six boys all playing together. Uh, it was, it was pretty magical, but he was always going to be, you know, the one that represented me, the one I kind of got to control, if you will, in our play. And then he also, I think his birthplace is Wheaton, Wisconsin. So being from Wisconsin, I kind of felt like, Hey, he, he best represented me or at least my, my, uh, childhood GI Joe persona. Okay. So, so I guess you were getting back to that. You were involved, uh, you were, you know, reading the comics you are active in the community on on the boards, and then uh, at some at some point you, you you make the the leap from not just reading and, and chatting away on the on the message boards. You've actually you're a credited person on the team. So so how did that all come about? All right, so it was pretty neat, and I I give all the credit to Brandon Jerwa. Brandon was easily the one of the most approachable quote unquote famous people at least in our community, and he. He was on the boards as well. He had, we had found out that he had gotten the uh, the nod for doing uh, a mini series, and then he ended up getting the um, the regular series. I think he started off with a Chuckles mini series. I want to say um, and, that's right in Frontline. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Um, and then when he, he he got he got the go ahead to to continue on the the regular series, I just threw a a chat out to him or a, a private message just saying, you know, if you're looking for someone to help out, I'd love to. At the time he had, I want to say someone else helping him who I think was probably doing a fantastic job. But for some reason he, he was, he was keen to have me join him. And then it was all him. He, he wanted to make sure I got credit. He, you know, he, um, he and I would, would talk about scripts. He, 
it wasn't just a matter of going over. I'm probably jumping ahead in your questions here. Sorry, but it wasn't just a matter of going over the military part just to make sure it was accurate. It started off mm-hmm. like that, but then we started just seeing each other as creative partners in some of the storylines. Most of it was him. And then I would come up with ideas and we'd banter back and forth about how we wanted to do this or that. And, and he was always very open to suggestions, which which was really fun for me. Cool. And and how did how did that partic- particular title of military consultation um, how did that link back to to the kind of experience, the real world experience that that you'd had? Yeah, that's good. So I in about in '92 I had uh, gone to the army. I always kind of knew I would, you know, join the military at some point. I have a military family, and my father and his his father before him. Uh, and so I was I was in the military for about two and a half years, and then left, went to, uh, or excuse me, transferred to the National Guard after that, Wisconsin National Guard, and continued. Um, through till 2000 or so. So even during that time, um, right up until that time, I should say, um, I think I had just just gotten done with seven total years in the military, or seven and a half or so. Uh, forgive me, this is my ignorance as a, as a non-USA citizen here, but is the is the National Guard, is that a branch of the military or, or, or is it is it kind of like a volunteer service or is it is it like a full-time no military no, occupation. No, it's not full time. It's you're looking at. Uh, it's basically part time. It's called the Army National Guard. It's a little different than the Army Reserves. The National Guard's assigned uh, to the state. Each state has a, has their National mm-hmm. Guard, but it's part of the you know Army umbrella. And then you, you you basically do one kind of weekend of training every month, and then two or three weeks during the summer, uh, typically for training, just to kind of keep up your skills and whatnot, but uh, it's not the same as regular army by any means. Uh-huh. And then you'd be, what, called upon in an, in an emergency? You might, yeah. And that that could be a, you know, a state-required uh, emergency such as, you know, um, gosh, natural disaster, things like that. Um, you could also be called up, and many units were during the various, you know, military conflicts recently. Mm-hmm. So it, it really was the, to the discretion of the governor. I see. How often were you were you communicating with Brandon Jerwa sort of at the maximum? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. So we had, you know, each, you know, I've got a stack of scripts here that I, I was able to dig up and I'm glad I kept oh, them. Oh, wow. Um, I actually started, it was a little off because by the time Devils Do, uh, whoever whoever controlled the print, you know, sent the books to print, I actually started in, in number 23 or 22. But I wasn't credited until I think twenty five. But then in reverse, I think the last the last issue I want to say that I helped on, at least in the main run, was thirty nine or forty. But then I continued to be credited, you know, for a few books after that. So I guess it all comes out in the wash. Um, and then I also did help with Master and Apprentice, and oh, Snake Eyes Declassified as well it was a fun project. Uh-huh. So this was only. Email with Brandon Jerwa, or were you on the phone? Did you meet in person? Yeah, you're right. I didn't answer your question. We this was on the phone mostly. We we did emails back and forth, but we were talking. We talked several nights a week. Uh, I mean, it was it was it's a labor intensive job. What he did, it's 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 a lot of back and forth on the creative side and kind of rolling things over, you know, re- revisiting them, things. So, I, God bless my. My wife, um, I, I'd probably be on the phone with him for sometimes an hour or two, going over the script, and then we would do. I would take some, you know, 
some time to just go through and kind of see what I could suggest, you know, read it very carefully, go through it with a fine tooth comb, and then we'd, you know, reconvene on that and then make some changes if we needed to or make some creative changes sometimes. And then we'd work on the next one. Do you remember the kinds of changes that you might suggest? Because when I, at the time as a reader, I assumed that this was, you know, previously the G.I. Joe writer had been in the military and also kept up on uh, stuff through research. Mm -hmm. And so like who salutes who in what order, who gets stationed where, that kind of thing, hierarchy was just going to be correct. You know, like who, who used what kind of equipment and uh, Josh Blaylock was a young writer who hadn't been in the military and the same with Jerwa. And so as a reader at the time, I thought, okay, this person who's got this credit is making sure that the writer isn't sort of getting anything wrong with like formality right. in, in the military. Uh, but, but I imagine it's, it's more than that, things that I sort of couldn't imagine. And, and you've spoken just now to some creative decisions, but what were the kinds of things that you might have suggested or corrected? You kind of already touched on a lot of it. Um, I think we noticed as a, even as a, a fandom, I've got a, a number of close friends who were on the boards back then. And actually, some of them actually even helped peripherally with the comic. Uh, I can get into that later. But, um, you know, we, we kind of see some errors here and there. The ones of us that knew. And, and, and by no means am I saying anything negative about uh, Josh and his writing, um, his storytelling. Uh, I think he was uh, highly talented. But there would be a little things here and there that you could tell he didn't understand quite about military. Just just the little details that Larry Hama had no problems with. And so that's where I think the military consultation came about. And Brandon was always open to that. So I would go through a script and, you know, if there was something, maybe terminology, sometimes he'd write in there, what would I use? You know, like he just have in parentheses, what would I use to describe this? You know, and so... You know, would this be a, a wave off or a dust off or, you know, what are we looking at here, um, you know, with aircraft or et cetera? You're right about the saluting, although I don't remember that being something that was part of any of the scripts. Terminology. I bring that one up because uh, someone pointed out that in uh, the animated G.I. Joe Resolute, someone saluted to someone else who shouldn't have. Oh, sure. But sure. but I'm, I'm sorry. Please continue. No, you're right. Uh, you do pick those things up. Yeah, so it would be maybe the, how someone would refer to a unit or um, just mostly terminology. Certainly certainly military slang would would be something that I could contribute a little bit that might sound you know pretty neat. I also helped a little bit with the military research if I didn't know, um, especially when coming up with you know some of the new characters. If we wanted to add a little bit of a, a military background, you know we'd, we'd do some research for him. Uh, we, we did a bunch of things, you know, even even we did some character profiles for Wizards of the Coast at the time when when the game was when the card game came out. And that required, even though they cut it down to almost nothing, that actually required a lot of various uh, research because we really wanted to get it right. We did a few file cards for Hasbro with some of their some of their uh, figures that they actually put out that asked us to do. Um, so I guess we did the best we could. Uh, Mark, did we know that? Did we know that some of the figures around 2004 or five had file cards written or with contributions from military consultants for the Devil's Due comic? Now that it's said, that sort of does does ring a bell in the back of my mind. It's, I don't think something we've talked about on the on the podcast, but um, yeah, that that sort of does ring a bell that there was 
yeah, that I think Brandon did get involved in in some of the file cards. Okay, um, so that that that's been spoken of in an interview before, or on the message boards at the time. Yeah, it must have been. Too, uh, yeah, this is this is. Some, I think it's not something I've thought about in many years. It must have been mentioned at the time. True. Did you did you get paid money, or were you given free comics? Gosh, you know what? I don't think so. I know I didn't get paid. Um, okay. Yeah, I may have gotten a few things. Some, in fact, yeah, Brandon did send me a few things. He, he would he would get some things in the mail, um, oftentimes from Hasbro. If you know, if he was talking about a new figure, and I know, like for instance, we did. Gosh, it was the uh, it was the Steel Brigade pack that we did the file cards, and then the matching Cobra pack would have been it was the Plague, I believe. And so we did the file cards for those. Huh. I think I took two characters, and he took two. Or if there was a five pack, I think I took two, and he took three. Where we came up with even the, the 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 names and everything, and I believe he was sent a few of those, and he he was gracious enough to turn around and send me um, some of the some of the prizes as well. But that was about it. I, I remember Brandon said that uh, he created Wraith and and wasn't even sent a figure oh, of that. Oh, that's so. terrible. Oh dear. Well, you, I guess you were involved in uh, in the sort of coming up, well, supporting Brandon when he was coming up with um, Wraith and the the whole. Um, extra backup story for for that right oh yeah yeah that's in the scripts here next to me and he that was exciting between that and the the snake eyes declassified and whatnot were some of my favorite drew was any of this did you think that you might get into comics as a writer or as an editor was this was this part of any idea in that direction no um it was purely just out of interest and, and actually I found out through helping him just how much work it was, and it was—it's a colossal <laughs> amount of work. And if anything, it, it dissuaded me from any future volunteering. Um, it was a great thing. I would—I was so happy I did. It was a great experience. Uh, it was fun to kind of, you know, in a very small, small way, put my thumbprint on the, uh, you know, the the hobby uh, in an official capacity, just to say I was there, kind of thing. But but no, it didn't translate into anything further. At the time, I was working as a, a special investigator for the Office of Personnel Management, and that's a that was a, a job that just had me going on details and kind of pulling me all over the place. So I just didn't have much time to do anything else. I think you mentioned that towards the end, it was the kids coming on the scene as well, sort of just switched the whole dynamic of how much time you've got free for extra things. Oh, for sure, yeah. Is is that is that the story of? Is that the reason that you stopped being military consultant for the comic? I think it did basically get it to be too much. I want to say I I helped him for, uh, gosh, it was a better part of two years, if not two years on the head. And towards the end there, I, I think I had a conversation with him, if I recall correctly, and I could be wrong. Brandon might remember better. But I, I think I, I just told him, I said, this has been so great. And uh, I just, you know, I don't know if I have time for this anymore, you know, as the kids are getting older and et cetera. And it would, it was, I basically gave him permission. I said, if you want to look for it, if you know, we want to find someone else to help out, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> you can see other consultants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. I won't take it personally. Yeah. <laughs> I have a close friend, uh, Todd Weinzerl, who, who was the head of Magnum Six Delta. Uh, he is, he was in the military as well. And I want to say at the time, I kind of pointed Brandon towards Todd. Todd, I know, helped us out with some of the Snake Eyes stuff. Um, declassified uh -huh. stuff. He may have even been credited in that book. I hope he was. Yeah, I was just I was having a look just earlier to see if if I could spot a credit for for you. I did. I've not been through every single issue, but it, I, I 
couldn't spot a consultant's credit. Let me just um, reach across and I'll grab my, my copy just to be sure. I believe for the yeah. Snake Eyes series, I think what happened was, and, and Brandon was disgusted. He, 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 God love him. He apologized profusely, but I think the actual individual issues came out and they had forgotten to put my name in. And then when they did the trade paperback, both Todd and I were inserted into that as, as a correction, but they, they, we didn't make the actual issues. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm just looking at the front. I can't of the individual issues. I can't. I can't see it. Mm-hmm. Drew, toward the end of Brandon Jurwa's run on GI Joe, his final arc is his final story. Is it's it's a little rushed. A lot gets crammed in, and we had him on the show, and he talked about how the book ended so that a, a new GI Joe series could start with a new writer, and in the in the promotions for that new comic, uh, Devils Do stated that you know the new comic would be great for established fans, but also welcoming for new fans. And so Jurwa didn't get to tell the the longer story that he had envisioned over many many more months. And also we know that um, from interviewing Josh Blaylock that Devils Do had a at times challenging relationship with Hasbro because Hasbro was figuring out its sort of comfort level with G.I. Joe in 2004, 2005, and also dealing with other licensors, you know, on the Transformers comic, for example, and and in dealing with all the other brands. So did you have a sense, it's a two-part question, that for Ren and Jirwa, things were getting truncated did you have a sense that a couple years into devil's dues relationship with hasro things were not always uh like the back and forth wasn't always uh, sort of smooth yes I, I i'm not sure i knew the the uh, the level that you speak of between let's say devil's do and hasbro but i do recall you know and i'm i there's nothing that I could even remotely say negative about Brandon. He was absolutely wonderful. I considered him to be a friend and he was a wonderful creator. This guy would have a vision for issues and issues and issues ahead. And and he wanted to tell the story in his way at his pacing. And it was, it was remarkable to work with someone with this kind of creativity. I really, I can't say enough good about him. Um, and I learned a lot from him, but, but I did know that, you know, and I, I hope I don't overspeak, but, he did get rushed. There were some pressures, at least from the Devil's Due to Brandon Jerwa level, that I didn't think were fair. Of course, I didn't know the whole story, if they were getting pressured then from, from Hasbro. I do recall he was forced to tie it up real quick, and it wasn't how he wanted to, because it wasn't how the story was planned out in his mind, um, which was unfortunate, because I think he would have told uh, an even better story, let's just say. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, sort of as a reader, even probably not knowing the wranglings the sort of interior wranglings of devil's due at the time it sort of it's kind of does feel quite rushed there's that there's the it was called the union of the snake was i guess the 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 main cobra plot which sort of was very curtailed very quickly with um sort of a nuclear explosion on cobra island and sort of cobra getting defeated and uh you know by by the small gi joe team and then the, the Dawn of the Red Shadows was the follow-up arc, which was essentially four issues contained in two double-sized issues where, uh, again, it's it sort of 
feels very compressed that you're introducing the characters but then also defeating them within the space of uh two two issues and those two issues didn't we establish those were published in the same month or mm. they, they're cover yeah. dated the same month yeah I, d- I don't know whether whether you had any any sort of more thoughts on that if, or memories of that compressed period of trying to you know just resolve that plot uh the, the sort of the long plot that had been planned within a very short space of time by the time the Red Shadows uh, arc hit, I wasn't. I think that was about. I think I had, I had pretty much been done with the with the consult consultation um, just prior to that. So while I was, well, I knew of it. I, I think at that point Brandon was kind of doing it more on his own, um, even though my name remained in the book. You know, I don't want to break any kind of confidentiality, but he he really had some frustrations, rightfully so, about the pressures he was getting. And I, I felt bad for him, but he he did the best he could. In fact, I think he did a uh, a brilliant job wrapping up as as neatly as he possibly could in in such a mm. short period of time. Some of those ideas he had. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I do have I do have pretty strong memories of just you know understanding that that yeah. he he wasn't able to be as creative as he wanted to at the end, which I think came through in the books and. You'd also see that come through in some comments from people who didn't know, and that's just that's okay. That's you know. Um, when, when people aren't in the know, they they assume, and and he may have gotten a little bit of criticism about some of those stories when it actually wasn't it wasn't his fault. He did the best he could. Yeah, and I think it was one of his last issues. Was it forty one? I think off the top of my head, I think Josh Blaylock was credited as a co writer. Un, unusually, so I get sort of pointing to pointed to Devil's Due directing him a little bit more than maybe they normally would have done. Mm-hmm. Did you get the sense that for most of until you know until those last few issues that Brandon had quite a free hand to do much as uh, much as he wanted? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything had to run run past them once we had it kind of finalized. And I, I want to say there was maybe a few little changes here and there that had to be made, but we, he had a pretty free reign, uh, and that's where some of the creative stuff that we had fun with came about. Um, you know how we would you know develop this or that storyline. I, I There's a little joke I tell people when they ask me about it. I said, one of the things I remember personally is is probably saving Footloose about 13 times <laughs> throughout the run <laughs> because he was a favorite character of mine. And just about every time, Brandon's like, all right, can we, can we kill off Footloose yet? I'm like, no, you can't kill off Footloose. And so if somebody, if somebody had to die or a character had to uh, meet his demise, it was it was uh, we picked someone else instead of Footloose, but <laughs> he started to understand that Footloose was untouchable at some point, so that was good. But it was fun. He might have appeared a little bit more at least before he died. Yeah. <laughs> he I did, um, didn't get a huge amount of page time for pro Footloose. <laughs> Something that I didn't get to say in our previous episode about the Devil's Due run, where Mark and I went over issue forty-three, which was final issue. Uh, my favorite line of dialogue from that issue. Wilder Vaughn, the the villain, the main Ran Shadow, on page six, uh, is talking about the the plot, and he says all timelines will be accelerated. And I thought this might be Brandon Jerwa having a little fun <laughs> with the reader, where a character in the story is saying something that makes sense in the story, but is commenting on what Jerwa, the writer, and sort of all the readers are experiencing, where all timelines will be accelerated. Yes. Uh, sort of, there's like there's that joke in uh, season three of Arrested Development where uh, the, the Bluth family is dealing with this order 
of of houses that they're going to build and the order is cut from it's like from 21 to like 17 and they keep saying like oh the order has been cut from 21 to 17 <laughs> and that's because fox had cut the number of orders uh, the number of episodes for this third and now final season of arrested development from whatever the number was like 21 to 17 just a comment on that real quick. I have to say, sure. Brandon is uh, very, very intelligent. And I think there were a number of times throughout his series that he was able to have a little tongue in cheek in there that, you know, probably went over a lot of people's heads, but not everyone. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all that he would he would have that in there. Hmm. I had a very specific question. And, and if you've not read, read the reread the issues recently, it might be a little bit too specific. But um, in uh, I think it's that issue Forty-one, where Union of the Snake is being wrapped up. One of the, I guess, big concluding moments is the nuclear attack by GI Joe on Cobra Island, which which Tim was less fond of. With with your military consultation hat on as as well, what uh, do you have any memories of that particular decision or that or that storytelling moment? I don't. I'm sorry, Mark. That one that may have been. Like I said, I've got right in front of me, I've got all the way up through script 39. And so I'm not sure how much after 39 I had uh-huh. involvement in. I, I'm I, sorry. No worries. No worries. So these are these are printouts after Jerwa uh, uh, emailed them to you at the time. Correct. Yep. And did you did you mark up your copies of these scripts? Oh, yeah. Yep. That's what I would do is print them out, kind of go through them hard copy wise with the red pen, you know, the classic thing and circle things and put question mark by things and other suggestions in the, in the sidebars and etc. I don't know. Maybe on eBay, these would be worth a lot of money. I have no idea, but something anyway, did have, have you, um, have you had, had a little look back on them? Is, was there anything that jumped out from your red penned notes? This is terrible, but I did not look through them. I apologize. <laughs> I, I probably could have been a little better prepared to give your content. A little bit it's better. okay. Once, once again, you are giving of yourself to GI Joe and not getting paid. So we didn't. We didn't expect you uh, that that you're even here talking to us is is payment enough uh, for for us, right? right? So uh, we we did we didn't expect anything. Uh, there was one point that you you mentioned that you wanted to come back to is that you said that various people helped peripherally on the on the book. Yeah, I thought I'd just circle back to to let you um, talk to what 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 that was. Yeah, three guys in particular. Um, I mentioned Todd, uh, who was a close friend of mine, still is. Uh, and he helped a great deal with, you know, if I even had some military questions, Todd was, he's a little younger than me and he was in the military a little more recently, um, while the books were, you know, actually maybe even during the time now that I think about it. Um, so he could kind of, some things that had come up, you know, in terms of military technology, vehicles, you know, different procedures, etc. He would kind of help me out with things if I had a question. So Todd was invaluable. Todd also helped a lot with uh, he's he's a, he's a whiz at graphics and whatnot, so he could help out with any kind of logos or anything we wanted to do um, that that made sense. Um, at the time, there was also uh, let's see, Fred Meyer of JBL, which you guys have I'm guessing maybe talked to, and if you haven't, you should. Uh, he was <laughs> he was someone who was wonderful online for the community, um, still is, and uh, Fred and I um, would talk as well. And the the person that I want to bring up too that I really uh, had a lot of ongoing conversation with while I was doing while I was helping Brandon who who supported me with ideas as well was Chris Chung and uh, Chris Chris was uh, kind of on the, the Joe sightings board quite a bit uh, under the name Werecat but 
Chris is a very talented writer, and uh, so he his consultation more in the in the sense of how a story would come out, um, the, the the pacing and meter of a story, something that that was valuable if I were going to have a a new idea for Brandon to kind of roll around in his head to see if he liked. So those those three guys were were definitely on the um, backstage, but but part of it for me. Did you keep buying and or reading the comic after Jerwas run ended and the next run started? I didn't. Um, I think I was, well, let's just say I, I, everybody's got their favorites. And, and I, I think I was, I think I was okay with being done with the direction the book was going and, and um, the writers until Larry took over again. When Larry took over again, I started reading again. So I've, I've kind of read, I've, I've tried to keep a few issues behind right now, but I've kept up with Larry Hama's uh, storyline to the present time. Hmm. Very good. You preempted my next question. So you've you've kept up to to date with the world of GI Joe comics. At any rate, have you have uh, you still kept on uh, collecting toys? Do you uh, you know do you have a a basement room with a massive uh, setup of of a battle somewhere? Or you know? <laughs> no, no, I've got a new set of little kids, so that's not possible. But <laughs> <laughs> I kind of did it all over again. But um, I. Kind of the opposite. I've been downsizing, um, but I did. I did keep up. I would say, up until maybe three, four years ago, I, I kept up. Recently, not so much. In fact, I'm kind of going the other direction. But there again, remember, I'm, I'm an old guy pushing fifty. So at some point, I got to let someone else have fun with them. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, much of my Joe toy collecting now is through the lens of an eleven-year-old uh, <laughs> who who actually takes them out the packets and and has battles with them on the on the floor. So absolutely, uh, actually, I should say this: the the new classified line is nice, and so my my little guy who's going to be turning seven pretty quick, and I have been having fun with that. So right. we do still buy the toys, I guess. Now that I think of it, just a little different scale. Is there a comic book store near you? Yes, yes, there is. Yeah, there's one in downtown Lacrosse, and we do go there once in a while. Okay, so that's where you get the the new the current IDW issues. Yes. Are you are there other comics you're you're buying and reading or are you just a GI Joe guy? Just a GI Joe guy at this point. Whittle it mm. all down to that. Yeah, I think at some point I read Transformers, um, you know, I read I read a lot of the 80s pop culture comics, so maybe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles here and there. Um what else did I read? My gosh. Oh, just about anything that kind of came along that reminded me of the 80s. That was fun to pick up for a while and and even even with the the GI Joe comic books, I, I kind of whittled it down to just just something that Larry Hama penned. If there was anything else, any other offshoots or um, iterations, I, I would leave those alone. Uh-huh. And are you excited to uh, to follow the new adventures of a real American hero wherever that lands at a new publisher at some point soon? Yeah, you know, I am uh, I am excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'll pick up the first couple of issues. I'll definitely give it a, a fair shake. Uh, I think Larry himself has hinted that, you know, there might be more to come from him um, with the new one. Yep. As at time of recording, he's said that he's written 301 and 302. So so we will see more of uh, Larry Hammer. Thank you. Yeah, I actually didn't know that. That's good to know. Wonderful. Now you know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything that we should have uh, asked you about your time sort of collaborating at uh, Devil's Jew, which we haven't. Gosh. I had one. No, go ahead. Uh, Drew, did you ever meet 
Brandon Droa in person. Ah, good question. Did you go to any of these conventions where Devil's Due had a presence? Well, that's a great question. I I did not. I don't think I met Brandon in person. As fun as it sounds, we talked all the time. And he, I, I know he went to some conventions that I didn't. And I went to probably four or five total Joe conventions from 03 to the final. But they were not ones that he attended. So, no, I... Honestly, I hope I'm not wrong, and and I did meet him, but I don't think I met him in person. So if, if Devil's Due was there, it's it's not like you necessarily went up and said, "Hello, I'm Andrew Swenson, your military consultant." Well, I I was at a convention before I was that, and then I don't hmm. think I was at the convention until maybe '07. So it okay. was so during the time that I was helping, I did not attend any conventions. So it wouldn't have been an opportunity to do that where I could, you know maybe even sit behind the table or certainly uh, certainly have a chat with, you know, Josh in, in that group. So no, it just didn't match up very well that way. Unfortunately, I was never offered a, a plane ticket or a, <laughs> or a hotel room to, to join them. So, so no. And have you, have you actually met Brandon in the intervening years since and, and have you stayed in contact? No, that's a good question. I, I, I have, we haven't stayed in contact and I'm not quite sure why, because we certainly had um, a wonderful time talking back and forth. Uh, good relationship, very solid, and I think he just got kind of busy with life out there in the um, the upper west coast, and I was I was busy with my life and kids, and you know you just kind of grew apart. I think if we picked up the phone and talked back and forth, we'd 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 catch up like old times pretty quick, uh, but it's been quite a while. So I have two I have two reactions. One, I think I think rather than being sad as a fan, right? Because as a fan, you sort of think or hope that everyone knows everyone. You know, it's like, well, of course, like if, even if the writer and artist, colorist, letterer, editor, they're not sitting in the same room, but they all know each other because they're all working on this comic. They all get paid by the same company. And then you find out that's, you know, definitely not true. So I think one, you are just speaking to a positive professional relationship that was friendly, but you know, if if you guys had been in the same city, no doubt you would have met up for coffee. Oh, sure. If timing had been a little different, no doubt you would have hung out at a convention. The other thing this this makes me think of is how at some points in the next year or 10, someone, and I don't know who it, who it is, maybe maybe it's Mark and me in, in a future live edition of Talking Joe, or maybe it's some other intrepid G.I. Joe fan convention organizer something journalist there should be a panel at a convention where uh it's a it's a reunion and several people from a certain era of gi joe let's say the middle segment of devils do you know sit around a table or sit up on a stage and just talk and it happens to be recorded and then people get to listen to it and you know there there'd be the little sort of hook of Oh well, it's, uh, it's Drua and Swenson get to meet each other for the first time. Yeah, isn't so that funny? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put a very nebulous pin in this and and say that Mark and I will think about what a good idea this is. And maybe <laughs> one day someone will do it. Oh, that that would and, be you know, fantastic. The, yeah, and you know to to remark further on our relationship, I I remember you know so we talked GI Joe and stuff, but we had gotten to a point where, you know, he'd give me a call and just let me know what was going on with his life. You know, some, you know, everybody's got ups and downs in their lives and struggles and that sort of thing. And we definitely got to a, a familiar basis where, you know, I kind of, I kind of need his consultation just on a personal level and vice versa. So, 
That was wonderful. So that would be great just to sit down and, and hang with uh, Brandon again. The reason why I think of this is that when uh, when Shout Factory released uh, re-released all the G.I. Joe episodes in a box set and re-released all the Transformers episodes in a DVD box set, oh, what was it, 10 years ago? This was like fixing some of the mistakes from the um, the previous Rhino home video DVD sets. Shout Factory got a bunch of the voice actors from the 80s G.I. Joe cartoon and the 80s Transformers cartoon, which of course are the same people, and put them in a like 10 chairs next to each other and just had them talk and put a camera on it. And that was a bonus feature that wasn't included on the season sets, but was included on the big box set. And I believe those have made their way to YouTube. And that's such a treat because... It's one thing when at one of these conventions, the audience is asking questions of one or two voice actors or uh, like one voice actor and one writer. It's another question when five or six or 10 voice actors get to just talk amongst themselves and we get to watch. And, you know, with sort of fan culture and fan journalism, like a podcast like Talking Joe, where Mark's finding cool interviews to conduct you know, we can we can sort of reactivate these times, these eras, these relationships. And so if if you're listening to this and you're you're planning a G.I. Joe convention in the next five or ten years, please <laughs> take this idea. And I don't even need credit. Someone have a devil's due reunion panel. And if it's if it's at a convention, it's not a podcast. Someone please record it. <laughs> yeah, those things are worth their uh, weight in gold, aren't they? Um, I'm I'm feeling this way also particularly because I I just attended a little GI Joe convention and and I was struck several times by the sort of the little magical moments and interactions that you can only have in person that you don't plan for that don't happen when you're talking to one person at a time or in a like a thread online that it's different when you're there and it's different when you get a bunch of people to all be there and you know I think we've all been at some comic book convention when we like saw some cool panel and maybe this is before 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago before the internet was what it is now. Uh, I remember I was at a convention in like 2002 and Jeff, Jeff Smith was interviewing Will Eisner. And I thought, I thought, why isn't someone recording this with a video camera? And that's not the culture of conventions at that time. You know, panels were, these like awesome one-off live events. And if you were lucky enough to be there, you were lucky enough to be there. And now when I go to conventions or more recently, panels do tend to be videotaped, even if, you know, I'm not always sure what the organizers are doing with them. And sometimes they're being live streamed right then. And that's great. Hmm. Anyway, uh, let's, let's talk about G.I. Joe again. I had, uh, <laughs> I just had, I had uh, uh, just something to mention to, to Drew, if, you know, if you're not plugged into the, all of the latest happenings of G.I. Joe news, uh, you might not have heard that um, that Brandon Joe has actually got a job now working on the G.I. Joe video game. Oh, wow. No, I hadn't heard that. That's fantastic. So the uh, the circle is complete. Like, yeah, almost 20 years on, he is back uh, back working on the property in uh, in some form. So it's, uh, yeah, very cool to, to have him back. Very cool. Yeah, you combine that kind of um, passion and talent, and it's it's wonderful to have him back. Mark, just so uh, I can be reminded and we can be specific for our listeners, does this game have a subtitle? Is this a game that has been out? Is this coming out? Is this an expansion? 
Well, this is a brand new, it's the, uh, what do they call it? It's like an, an A-class game. It's like a, a proper big budget, big studio game. Brandon Jerwa has been announced as the senior narrative designer for the G.I. Joe game, which is, I believe, called Snake Eyes. And it is coming from a uh, sort of new game studio called Atomic Arcade. Um, it's, I think it sits under the company Wizards, as in, like, linked to Wizards of the Coast. Which Hasbro owns. This, we don't know a huge amount of detail other than it, it sounds like they're you know they're taking this game serious so that we're going to get a proper big budget uh they call it a triple a uh title that makes sense um i think i mentioned this earlier but we uh we were approached by wizards to when they did the the, the trading card game briefly it was really a wonderful game i thought um but we approached to them they wanted to put out the little pamphlet with the starter set and so we did the the write-ups for all the characters inside that pamphlet and that was definitely a nice relationship with, um, gosh, I want to say it was Aaron at Wizards, but he was he was the head of that GI Joe game project. Uh-huh. And so for them to call back on Brandon, though, makes perfect sense because I think they were pretty pleased with what they got from us. So yeah, I think I think we've covered most of uh, of the ground. Is there anything that we've not yet asked you, Drew, that we should have? Ah uh, man, I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, um, fa- favorite issue of the original Marvel comic favorite issue of the devil's do comic. Man, I mean, I can say the, the, the snake eyes declassified was, that was my favorite to work on for sure. Uh, favorite issue of Marvel, man, you could pick anything almost, but let's say issue number 18. Why? What about, what about issue number 18? Oh man. I, you know, I just remember as a kid, I remember the cover with Destro standing there and I just, it, it kind of, it was one of the earlier ones that introduced me to the various vehicles. Um, some of the, some of the new characters I want to say that, that came out, was it, what did Duke and Roadblock hit? Was it 17 or 18 or something like that? Oh, anyway. Um, it just, just yeah, Duke and Ro- yeah, Duke and Roadblock show up right around there because they're in, they're, uh, they're at Flag's funeral. Yeah. 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 So just, I think the comic was really picking up some really neat speed around then going from little bit stories to kind of a bigger over, overarching story. Yeah, I don't have a really good answer for you. Sorry about that. That's okay. This is a this is a pretty good answer. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, it's p- not part of not what one you're... that's normally picked. So yeah, Destro returns. It's the the cover with Destro and Cobra Commander sort of standing in front of a monitor, and then on the that's monitor it. there's a, a part of I think part of what you've said, Drew, is that you like the series so much, any one issue may not stand out anymore because you like the series so much. Oh, right. So that might that might speak to your level of excitement that's sustained over a time and also the consistency of the book as opposed to someone saying, oh, this issue because like my favorite character or this issue because, you know, like that cool thing happened that people always talk about. Tim, you're good at bailing people out. I appreciate that. But that's <laughs> that was that was fantastic. Um, I do actually remember 49 and 50 being huge favorites with the whole Springfield and the the, the, yeah, the war right. where you got everybody involved. So that that'll always stand out in my mind too. And you mentioned you sort of your work on um, Snake Eyes Declassified, and it's an interesting project and quite different to most comics projects, really, because it's it's not just a brand new story. It's sort of piecing together all of these bits these nuggets of snake eyes's life that have been revealed through flashbacks over the course of the series and then sort of 
filling it out with like the connecting tissue to kind of make a a whole story out of it was it was there sort of particular memories of of working on that um on that series that that sort of make it stand out i think just just being understanding the importance of it um understanding and how to, to you know get it right you know painstakingly making sure that we nothing and i'm not saying it was perfect i, I bet there's someone out there who could maybe find a little bit of a an overlap or a flaw, but we really tried hard to make sure the continuity was all there based on, you know, the original Marvel run and et cetera. All, all creative credit to Brandon on that one. But I just, I was, I was, I was there as a sounding board and there again, kind of doing some double checks on things uh, and maybe just offering a little bit here and there. But for the most part, I mean, it was just exciting to do because who doesn't love the, the Snake Eyes origin overall? I mean, it's just such an integral part of the property. Excellent. So, so yeah, I think we probably have uh, have uh, sort of reached the end of our talk there. Normally, um, I'll give our guests uh, an opportunity to to say where they can be found and, and the things that they've got to to promote. Oh gosh, no. So, so Drew has got, hasn't got any uh, products to plug at this stage, I don't think. But um, but Tim, where can people find you when you're not talking about? G.I. Joe things or or find you talking about other G.I. Joe things I could say as well video essays on television and film at atomicabe.com and our YouTube page Atomic Abe Productions my brick and mortar comic book store Hub Comics in Somerville Massachusetts and I write about G.I. Joe at my blog arealamericanbook.com excellent and Everyone can find out more about the show at talkingjoe.co.uk. That's the website that has links to everything, like our Facebook page, our Twitter page, if that still exists by the time this podcast comes out, Instagram, and all of that good jazz. We're on Patreon. And a big thanks to our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, Justin, Rob, and Brian, who are getting early access to episodes and other exclusive content. And I think that's us done. But remember that... Nobody beats Talking Joe, an international podcast! Uh, Laters. Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys.